Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode 82 of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, here with co-host Pete Wall and producer Jack Mills is back with us this week. Hello, gentlemen. How are we all? Um, the honest answer or a dishonest answer? Uh, dishonest answer. Dishonest answer. I'm really excited for the show. Uh, let's get going. <laughs> Funnily enough, just before we started, I was really jazzed about the fact that my brand new uh, microphone, Paul and I have actually ordered the, the same new fancy microphone for, for this very show, actually, amongst other things. Uh, my new microphone had arrived, so I went down to pick it up from where it had been dropped off, uh, handed over the card for the collection, and um, had picked up another parcel instead, which was also bound from my house, which was three boxes of cat food. So, my cat Arrow is delighted about tonight's developments, but uh, less so myself. Honestly, the, the disappointment as we watched him excitingly sort of tear through the box and then go, <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and then try to go back downstairs to get the part, the correct microphone, and the guy the who place runs was the, closed. Sh- the place was closed. So, uh, yeah, so it turns out we're getting our microphones on the same day, Pete, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. killing the game, uh, this guy. Jack, how are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Uh, have a pretty boring weekend. Jack, um, Jack, yes. shoot from the hip. You're not that good at the moment, are you? Because you've had a little run-in with the medics recently. Yeah, I was just about to get to that. Oh, okay, sorry, so, sorry <laughs> to, right. to cut across your uh, own news. So, yeah, basically last week I thought I was dying, but I wasn't dying. Well, that's a relief. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you were just but, laughing at one of Paul's jokes. Yeah, yeah I was, yeah. Uh, but I'm not allowed to drink for two weeks or drink caffeine for two weeks, so I'm in a bit of a weird, grumpy Wait, place. Wait, hold on, so no alcohol and no coffee? Yeah, basically, so... Oof. So what what did they say was the issue? If you want to share it with yourself. So the it's issue a safe that space, I had, yeah. yeah, safe space for me to share things. Uh, I basically have acid build-up from my stomach underneath my heart, which gave me very severe chest pains, which I thought was something worse than it was. But it turns out it wasn't. So just a bit of acid on the heart. Uh, just a little bit of acid. <laughs> so, yeah. So does, is that something that sort of um, like ameliorates over time? Like you can just take the break from the booze and the and the you know hedonistic lifestyle that you're used to, <laughs> and, and then. But, the, but in all seriousness, the doctors have said like that. That's just going to sort of gradually get better with that change. Yeah. You think? Yeah. Basically. So if I don't binge drink anymore, then I should be fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, having to work with the two of us is going to be a very big challenge for oh, you. Yeah, but yeah. but you're doing well so far, so all power <laughs> to you. And yeah, we'll we'll hopefully be able to update with sort of positive uh, upturn in health news in oh, a, yeah. a week or two. We will. Yeah, it's becoming yeah. a health podcast, isn't it? Yeah. That's where we're going to go with it. So yes. No. I, well, I'm glad you're okay. Um, Okay, so anyway, back to business. A little interruption from YouTube there, that's all my bad. Um, We are back with another episode, as you know, and we've got all the usual sections that take us uh, on a trip through the cinema, a virtual trip, uh, albeit you won't actually get to go into a building. It will just be sort of a building that exists only in your ears and imagination. The first part of the trip that we always come to is called In the Foyer, and in this section we just want to chat about something that connects up with the other parts of the show and maybe that we've been thinking, talking about or discussing recently. Recently. Paul, what on earth could link in with today's show in which we're going to feature the release uh, Tomb Raider? 
How can we tie into that? Well, funnily enough, we have decided to tie in by talking about our favourite, I would say, kick-ass heroines, I think is probably a good term to describe this. So our kind of favourite female action heroes, really. It's funny. Um, to tie funny, in with, obviously, Lara Croft. It's a funny connection, um, though, isn't it? Because kicking heroin was part of what the doctor said you needed to do for <laughs> yeah, the benefit yeah, well, of your yeah. health. Is that right? <laughs> is this whole, that whole lead-in asking about his well, health was a lead-up to that joke, wasn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, you don't care, yeah, do you? Straight off the dome. <laughs> straight off the dome yeah. there, Paul. Um, yeah, so we are indeed, uh, unbelievable as it might be, able to um, tie in the movie Tomb Raider with this section. So, yeah, action stars who are female who sort of led movies that you've been impressed by in whenever. It doesn't matter, you know, at any time in your life. What sticks out? Jack, because I'm giving you a hard time about your actually serious health issue, why don't you <laughs> kick off first and, and you know, get into to what you've been thinking about? Okay, so my heroine this week, I think, would have to be Angelina Jolie. Uh, in the film Wanted or Mr. and Mrs. Smith Both alongside Brad Pitt. Not too made of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not the best films, but uh, yeah, definitely up there in top heroine, her performances. And I'd probably... throw in Gone in 60 Seconds as well. Yeah, Again, not true. not a great film, but she's man, she's, she's, she's good in that. I like it. And also she was in a, oh, it was a famous film as well that we're looking at the re-release this week. I can't remember what it's called. Tomb Raider, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's an interesting pick as well, Jack, because we're doing Tomb Raider on the show today. One of the big questions around the movie, I think, was how well is Alicia Vikander going to take over the mantle oh, from Angelina Jolie? Because whatever you say about um, the first Tomb Raider big screen movie and the, the second one, Cradle of Life, they're not, I would claim, not very good movies, but she, as a sort of icon was able, I think, to very amply... Ah, uh, there are better words I could have chosen. Right, yeah. uh, <laughs> for, fulfill the role of Lara Croft. And and I think one of the problems that I had looking at the uh, early stuff on the new Tomb Raider was thinking, like, maybe Alyssa Vikander hasn't quite got the edge of Angelina Jolie. So, yeah, I think it's a great pick. Paul, what have you got? Uh, I've gone for two uh, two ladies in this case. Um, I've gone for Zoe Saldana and Karen Gillan, uh, based on their performances in the Guardians of the Galaxy film. So, as... Gamora and Nebula respectively the reason I've gone for two is because they are sisters Uh, Zoe Saldana's got pedigree I think as an action hero from Colombiana um, which I quite enjoyed actually which wasn't incredible but she again I think it it nails the the role in that Um, Karen Gillan again as Nebula is is unexpectedly badass I think in the blue makeup Mm. um, and genuinely quite terrifying also pretty convincing in Jumanji I thought as well as more of an action action type role so I've gone for the two of them I think so and Zoe Saldana from Avatar as well yeah um, sure yeah sure I think Zoe Saldana is one of those who got to pump out like good action stuff and clearly had chops for it and then maybe her window of opportunity as, as sad as it is to kind of say that because she can't be more than about what late 30s now I wouldn't have thought she's much older than us might, it might be in its its later stages because you always see this you know uh, there's always like a new generation of action stars and unfortunately with females I think that that tends to skew younger, whereas you know the Bruce Willis's of the world can just well, Liam Neeson, for example. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You can go on into their sort of fifties and sixties, and maybe and hopefully well, Charlie Theron is about forty-seven, I think. Now she's still she's still Surely banging out the not. action role. Is that true? I think she is that old. Yeah, so she's still banging him out at a, a, a slightly older age, I would say. Mm. Um, yeah, but Zoe Saldana, I think, is great. Uh, I think she's an underrated actress. I think it's good that she's getting the Marvel work, but I would quite like to see her in in other bits and pieces, to be perfectly honest. Because um, I rate her quite highly as an actress. Um, Pete, who have you got? I'm going to check the Charlie's Throne Age thing while you uh, 
Yeah, get, get at it. So uh, I'm gonna. I mean, there's there's a number. I mean, not as many as I would like to choose from, but there are a number. So I'm gonna go a bit left field and um, finally settle on uh, the actress Louis uh, Louise, I should say Burgoyne. I think I talked about this movie on the show. It's called uh, The Extraordinary Adventures of Adele uh, Blancsec. Do you remember? Yes. Is this the Luc Besson director? It is. Like? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a it's a really weird movie. It's this kind of like um like oh she's forty two sorry oh okay sorry, sorry. uh it's this kind of sort of like. Indiana Jones-esque um, tale yarn involving like pterodactyls and sort of uh, prehistoric creatures flying about the place and then like period costumes <laughs> she gets to kick heads in wearing period costumes which I think is fantastic but the main reason I pick her is because I think Louise, Louise, Louise Burgoyne is like very um, very very charismatic likeable screen presence that I don't think that many people are aware of and in fact I think this movie at least over here in the UK flew a lot under the radar you know it's not perfect it's very very silly but I would recommend it so yeah amongst the the four or five that I cut it down to I'm going to go for Louise Burgoyne and check out the movie if you get the chance Um, I think that finishes off for this little section this little discussion so we will all return in just a moment with our popcorn movies for this week So back indeed we are. Um, I'll jump in first if that's all right with everyone else. Yeah, happy um, yeah, with that. Um, so yeah, I as you, you if people who know me will know, I'm kind of living between Cheltenham and Bath at the moment. One of the benefits of living in Bath is it's got a picture house, uh, which means I get to go and see films that otherwise would never have come to Cheltenham, which is quite nice. Yeah, and a picture so, house is actually like a, a, a chain of cinemas as opposed to like Paul just speaking in sort of oldie worldy yeah, terms. Sorry, yeah. oh, they've got a, yeah, got a picture house. I can yes. continue to watch. I mean, yeah. I do yeah. keep forgetting actually sometimes that we do have a number of US based listeners. So yeah, Pitch House is like an, an art house chain of cinemas really um, that show with more obscure films that we'd never really get to see in Cheltenham. So with that in mind, I was quite lucky to get to see uh, the Palm Door winner from last year, which has taken a long time to come over here, uh, which is Ruben Ostlund's latest, The Square. Yeah, um, classic classic Paul over here, not waiting to do a review till everybody's seen the movie, but jumping right in and going, oh, actually, I've seen it already in another city. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about The Square, Ouch. Paul, because I, I did a coming attractions on this last week and I haven't seen it yet um, because I don't live yet in, uh, in Bath or, or elsewhere. But... Did it live up to my expectations? Yours? I mean, was it was it as good as Force Majeure? I mean, there are so many questions. There are a lot of questions, and weirdly enough, I didn't rate Force Majeure that highly. Although right. the square yeah, has yeah, made me that. want to revisit it. Um, so it's, I would say, without I don't want to give too much away because it is a film you need you need you need do need to go in fairly cold to. I think, but it is, I would say, a, certainly a satire um, that takes aim at the art world. But not only the art world, I would say at, at sort of the wider human human existence, really, as you might expect from if you've seen Force Majeure, it's kind of that kind of similar thing, like skewering people's feeling awkward and, and sort of skewering humanity, really. Um, it is in places a very bizarre film. Um, there's some great performances in it. Uh, Klaus, is it Klaus Bang? Is it- Klaus, Klaus Bang plays the yeah. lead role. Uh, basically, the, the kind of the film opens where you have him. Being, I think they're like the creator of an art exhibition, uh, and Elizabeth Moss plays a journalist who basically is questioning what is the what is his perception of art, and if there's there's a question in the beginning, like if the, if I place this bag over here in an art gallery, does this then become art? So you kind of you kind of get where it's coming from. Um, it's a very very funny film for the most part. It's got some very very dark scenes. Um, I've read a few people. I've read someone actually comparing this to comparing the director to Lars von Trier, which I'm not sure. 
I entirely agree with, to be to be perfectly honest. But it's certainly, it's not a film for everyone, but it is a very, very clever, well-put-together film. And the, there's a set piece that a lot of people are talking about in, like, a restaurant at, I think, a, a meeting of sort of art critics and artists um, that, that superbly skewers the establishment. Um, I would say not all of it worked for me. There's certain bits that are a little bit too obvious and so maybe slightly on the nose. And arguably at two and a half hours, it's possibly a little bit on the long side. Um, but for me, it certainly establishes Ruben Osland as probably one of the most interesting auteur filmmakers working today. So, yes, I would say definitely go and see it. What, what um, does the square refer to? Is the square the art exhibit that is like a square on the floor? Yes, so basically yeah. the um, they are the kind of the, the crux of the art exhibit that he's trying to bring into his exhibition is this Argentinian woman's artwork, which is just a square on the floor. And the kind of there's... There's, and again, I won't spoil it. There's a whole passage about what happens in the square, um, and the whole thing is like this balance and peace and tranquility. And then you have this this brilliant section where they bring in this this external marketing agency to try and advertise the exhibition and just get the point of it completely wrong, which gives the scene one of the film's more contra- controversial but darkly darkly funny moments. So yeah, black comedy won't be to everyone's taste. Uh, but if you are into that kind of film, and certainly if you like Force Majeure, then you will very much like this because I actually preferred this film to Force Majeure. So uh, an acquired taste for sure, but one that I would heartily recommend. Um, okay, well, I, I was going to think of a clever segue, but then I just couldn't be bothered. Um, <laughs> my uh, my first popcorn review of this week is a film from a director called Justine Trier. Um, it was one that was, again, discovered via Mubi, which is a lot of my uh, popcorn movies at, at this point. Um, this one, I'm going to keep it really short. This one is basically what a Catherine Heigl movie would be like if it was really good. Um, so not a Catherine Heigl movie, I guess. Uh, the lead here is played by an actress called Virginie Efira. And it's basically like a, a story about one woman's messy life, um, albeit a very successful or at least superficially successful woman in her professional sphere. She works as a fairly high-flying lawyer, but she's going through a, a tough time and then she gets the opportunity to potentially defend a client who is also sort of a friend of hers already. Um, during the course of the film, a guy moves into her house, a very young guy, uh, maybe he's sort of in his early 20s. He just wants to look up to her, learn from her and find a way to get from where he is, which is sort of unqualified and a bit hopeless, to being a lawyer himself by taking her guidance but she hasn't got her shit together either even though she seems like a very like put together attractive I can see what you mean about person. the Catherine Heigl thing now it seems to be a character that they would normally yeah. would normally play yeah. I just I just thought it was refreshing because it is a portrait of uh, a woman in a very specific set of circumstances and sometimes a little bit like quirkier than other people's lives might be but it it is a fairly rounded three dimensional picture of a woman which I don't think we get that much in sort of Film, I would say contemporary film, but I just think in film mm. in general. So it, yeah, it's it's one to to treasure. I would say if you like that sort of thing. So that one's called In Bed with Victoria, and it was uh, released in 2016. What have you got, Paul? Uh, my next one is uh, the exploitation film Mum and Dad, which has just been, I think, released last week at the Isn't cinema. Isn't it like the least um, inventive title of all time? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and remind, I thought it might be a remake of, a, of like a nasty British horror from a few years ago, but it wasn't. Uh, this is um, a Brian Taylor directorial effort. You might be aware of Brian Taylor from his work with 
Uh, I think it's David Neville Dean, I want to say. They worked together on Crank, Crank 2, and the second Ghost Rider film, Spirit of Vengeance, I think. Right. Um, of which I liked Crank, didn't like Crank 2, and wasn't too keen on Spirit of Vengeance, but I thought Crank was great. So if you've seen those films and are aware of the director's work, you should know what kind of silliness you're in for here. Um, this, day, this stars Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair um, as basically sort of parents, well, basically they are parents, um, it's never quite explained what happens, but at a certain point in the movie, uh, the parents turn on their children and desperately start trying to kill their children. Um, so you're in exploitation territory here. But not a zombie um, movie, I've heard. Not a zombie, not a zombie movie, zombie no. Movie. Not a zombie movie. Um, you're in pure exploitation territory here. Um, there are some, I would say, darkly funny set pieces. Um, at one point, a woman gives birth to a baby. I think you can see probably where, where it goes from there. Um, and again, as I said, if you've seen Crank, you know what, what kind of dark humour to expect here. Sorry, what, I've missed something in that, in that segue. A woman gives birth to a baby, you can see where things go from there. Yes. Where the child gets older and goes to school no. and becomes successful. So something happens in the film where parents start to kill their own children. Okay. One gives birth to a baby. Right. And then I yeah. got you. Yeah. I'm back with you. Back Sorry if that room. was vague. Thank you for clarifying though. Um, so yeah, so Nicholas Cage and Selma Blair here are the parents uh, in this film. Um, I have some problems with this and it isn't actually the exploitative content because I think there was quite a good exploitation film to be made here. I just don't think this is it. Um, Nicolas Cage actually is on top batshit crazy form so oh, I really? mean like wow. okay. seriously intense Nicolas Cage form we're talking like Bad Lieutenant kind of yeah, I, insanity here I heard <laughs> somebody one of the critics on Film 2018 say that he starts at like full throttle 10 out of 10 and goes up from there I don't think I've ever seen a more extreme Nick Cage than in this film <laughs> like, honestly and, and actually actually, it works like, this is the kind of stuff that Nicolas Cage is good at oh, yeah. have you seen that movie where Nick Cage has sex in the confessional booth of a Catholic church oh, I don't think so oh no. that's a treat I think my yeah. Nick Cage film is uh, Con Air. Yeah. Does he go to, to full 11 in Con Air? What about the bees? How about the bees the in bees. the Wicker Man remake? I mean, anyway, carry on, Paul. We're hijacking you. <laughs> yeah, with, so, uh, Nick no, Cage so Nicolas Cage, film. yeah. Nicolas Cage is full on batshit crazy. And I totally agree with that critic that you've seen where I'd say he goes up to like 15 out of 10. Selma Blair's pretty good here as well. And I I've like always, Selma Blair. I've always found her quite quite creepy anyway when she needs to be. And she's, she's good in this role. Um, some of the set pieces are, Some of the set pieces are a lot of fun. Um, they're all in bad taste my problem is though that Brian Taylor is just I'm sorry he just doesn't strike me as a particularly competent director like it's the lack of budget really shows the camera work is a little bit shoddy the editing it's the main thing the main problem has with the editing it just feels like you're watching it just doesn't it's just not very well do made you think, do you think at some point something infected the camera operators possibly to try and kill the director it's kind of meta know, isn't yeah, it for maybe yeah. I think maybe well, maybe that's happened but I don't know like I think what worked in Crank doesn't really work here, if that makes sense. I well, just... if Jason Statham was in this, you'd be fine. You'd be yeah. absolutely fine. If Jason Statham was the child of one of the, one yeah. of the parents, yeah. Why not? I think the parents would be in trouble. No, it's it, it's fun, it's knowingly silly, and it is amusing in places. I just wish it had been slightly better made, if you, if you see where I'm coming from. Because there was potential here for this to be, I for me, to be like a cult exploitation classic. And in some corners, it might end up being regarded as that. But for me, it just it, the technicality just wasn't there, and I found actually the camera work just the shoddy camera work not not charming, which you do in some exploitation films, just a little bit grating and annoying. So I can't heartily recommend this, to be honest. Heartily recommending stuff. Oh, I'll give you one. Uh, the future, 
Yeah, I've got, I've, I've got no game this week. I've got no game. <laughs> to be honest, my, my heart's not in it. But uh, my second popcorn review of the week is actually a film that my heart was in and I do like, so I'll give you a few details as to why. Uh, this one is from Miranda July and it's a follow-up to You, Me and Everyone We Know. Uh, it's called The Future and I think this one was on Film 4 and that's how I got hold of it. But... Um, I didn't know how I felt about Miranda, Miranda July because I know that she works in sort of visual media. She's published at least one book. Um, she's had yeah two or three feature films out now, and she's very outspoken and seems to have a, a lot of things to say. But I think to this point, I haven't really seen any of her output. If this is a good example of what Miranda July is about, I think I'm I think I'm fairly on board. Um, the plot, as as much of there is, uh, the, as much as there is in this movie is there's a couple played by the um, actor Hamish Linklater alongside Miranda July herself. And they are fairly sort of like, I think I said this to you, Paul, uh, off mic, that they seem like a couple who would be um, a sort of off-cut from the show Portlandia. Yeah. like they're ve- They look very hipster and they're sort of wayfish and they sort of stay in their apartment being a, a little pretentious and fey and I don't know. But you warm to them through the movie and what's happening with them is that they decide to break out of a sort of rut in their lives that they're going to adopt a cat and they'll look after this cat to sort of give something back. The cat has uh, a sort of continuing, to continue our, our health theme today, has a sort of renal failure going on. So they believe that the cat will only be with them for about a month and then will sadly pass away, but they can give it a good last month. The thing is that when they go to collect the cat, the veterinarian says, well, actually, if you nurture this cat, it might be around for years to come because, you know, it might make a recovery. If you And then they start thinking, well, as soon as we get the cat, our lives will be over because we're just going to have to be full-time carers for a dying cat. So they've got one month, they believe, in which to fully experience life because what they're staring at at the moment is a sort of collective existential crisis. So in that one month, they're going to fit in the stuff that they never did. But of course, for your sub-Portlandia character, that isn't, you know, injecting drugs and going to Vegas. It's like (laughs) she has a really awkward affair that she doesn't really want to have. He goes out and gets a job going to to door advertising for adopting trees like that's kind of where where we're at with this and um then the thing that i've just mentioned about the affair is where things take a turn because he and or the two of them are together and she's about to confess that she's been unfaithful to her long-term partner and just as she's about to say it, he has the feeling that something bad is coming he reaches out, out his hand and time stops And then he gets to have a a dialogue with the moon about where he is in his life and what he wants. (laughs) Okay, I was. There's also a talking cat. The the renal failure talking cat is, I think, for me, the highlight of the movie as well. But what it all comes down to, this movie does it work? To wrap up, it does work for me. You've used this saying, and and then I probably say that I don't like the saying, and I'll use it myself. But it's not going to work for everyone. It really isn't because I know that throughout the like letterbox reviews of this, there are people going like, oh wanky you know yeah. pretentious shit yeah if if you don't give it the time and you just write it off you know fair enough that's you do you maybe it's not for you right now but I think if you're at a particular point in your life you realise that the talking cat isn't just a cutesy like adjunct to the main plot the talking cat with renal failure is a very clear and I think quite funny and quite well sketched metaphor for the future of a relationship so these two people 
are maybe going to forget to collect this relationship, take hold of this relationship at the right time, and then they might lose it. That's what the film's about. It's about missed opportunities. It's about finding the right person at the right time, and it's about finding happiness in the future. And I think it's really, really good and quite smart. That one is The Future, Miranda July, and it came out in 2011. I think we're going to add on one more, aren't we, Paul? I think we added, we can add one more, yeah. So this is the secret. So last week's episode, we said we were off to see a secret unlimited screening. Uh, I guess completely wrong that it was going to be A Wrinkle of Time or Pacific Ring Uprising. Yeah. It was neither of those we, films. We were a bit thrown when the title yeah. card came out. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. We, did, definitely so we all shared thrown. a look and we're like, oh. To be yeah, fair, right? you, Paul, uh, I'm pointing at you, so I'll say, you, Paul, had mentioned that this was a film, I, I'd never even heard of this thing that we're going to review now, but you said, oh, this is one that's coming up. I kind of, you know, would rather it wasn't that. I did. To these I will, other, I will other fully, fully own that. I did say that. But yes. that's the only reason I had ever heard of the title yeah. so the film we should say is called Love, Simon and it's from a director called Greg Berlanti who I believe did uh, Life As We Know It that sort of is that a Catherine Heigl movie where they like adopt a kid or like have a kid because he produced The Fault in Our Stars as well is that I wouldn't know possibly. why would you ask me that question it's, uh, How it's would a I very know that? similar film isn't it it is a Catherine Heigl movie yeah so she's all over this episode um, <laughs> oh wow yeah Love, Simon so well, we've all seen this, so we can all get involved. If I set up very quickly, just to say that this is basically your uh, common and garden American teen high school movie about a central romance, um, or at least the angst surrounding a central romance, that on its surface would seem like something very sort of passe and uninteresting. But what it turned into, at least for me, was quite a touching and well-observed story about a young guy coming out as being gay... And the reason that that's interesting isn't because in 2018 a film with a guy coming out and being gay is particularly groundbreaking, but the fact that in this particular genre we have 99.9% heterosexual relationships in American high school movies, or any high school movies to be fair. And so it as well as some sort of excellent writing and some genuinely funny jokes, I found that to be um, a, a reason to really recommend this relatively strongly, I think, as something that took me a bit by surprise. I mean, where are you with this, guys? Uh, I'm basically with you I think and I'll be, I'll be 100% honest it, kind of, it opened up there was the kind of opening moment I thought oh this is a bit on this is a bit on the nose for me this is a bit saccharine and a bit too sweet um, and there's moments when the, the family is sitting together and they're like oh should we watch The Affair or and like, well, he likes M83 well, and you've got these and sketching the fact that the, the family is Josh oh, Duhamel and Jennifer uh, Garner, and Jennifer Garner yeah. where you do see those <laughs> yeah. two and you think like, oh please don't be that yeah, movie so, so bearing in mind it wasn't the one I wanted it to it wasn't the film I wanted to see and then these two sort of appear early doors and you're like oh no I think I see where this is going and then they're all they're all sitting down they're all going should we watch Game of Thrones and then he's like oh I've gone to listen to M83 and this my playlist and I was like oh they're throwing out every cliche under the sun here and to an extent it is quite cliche but then that's kind of the nature of the genre really uh, well, and that's exactly what was happening yeah. in the opening section of Juno for example yeah no 100% you know. 100%, 100%. Uh, and I have to say when I kind of when I kind of got over myself and stopped huffing and puffing do you know what I actually started to quite enjoy this and I think that as you say the strength of the writing uh, shines through the characters are all surprisingly for teenage characters in these kind of films are all actually very likeable um, I kind of enjoyed being in all of their company and I came out of it going do you know what I didn't hate that I actually I did yeah, quite like it you, it's one of those films that you sort of you look at you judge it you know never judge a book by its cover and I think that was the case for me wasn't it never judge a film by Josh Duhamel yeah, I guess we learned yeah, yeah. Yeah. this way <laughs> yeah. but yeah no, I thoroughly rated it actually I think you know went in there obviously we didn't know what the film was and it was a bit of a surprise 
wasn't the best surprise in the world but um, yeah and I think I agree with both your comments I don't really have that much to add apart from I thought the performances were were, were you with me Jack that some and I'm not getting overboard like, I'm not saying it's like my film of the year or something but like some of the lines in this bracingly and surprisingly actually funny yes. which is not what I expected no. at all like yeah the, the the sweet story giving way to something a little bit more meaningful sure but actually funny jokes the one where the teacher said the thing about like <laughs> oh she uh, was great that I'm gonna I'm gonna confiscate this who played this. the teacher I, I, oh. I'm looking on those maybe uh, Talitha Bateman but I don't know I'd have to check I, I don't but know that yeah, actress her well. lines just in the sections they were in they just she, she confiscated something off her kids like an annoying yeah. kid who was a bully and she said I'm going to take this it's, I'm going to sell it and I'm going to spend the money on getting my tubes tied it was like <laughs> genuinely good so the, the last thing I wanted to add uh, tack on to the end is just I think the guy's called Nick Robinson yeah. the lead Again, really, really good. I mean, I don't know this guy. I don't know a lot I've about this guy. It's, he's not for I me. His face I guess from somewhere. I, I assume he's done other things before this, but uh, yeah, not an actual number. Sure. The other point I'll make is Josh Dermo does appear to be aging into Johnny Knoxville as well. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so pretty, pretty solid yeah, um, thumbs up. I think on on Love Simon, and, and I would say more than even just coming out of it, going like, oh, that was sort of not as bad as I. Like, I came out of it. Uh, going like I just want to come out about something didn't yeah. want to come out about something I was like I've just come out I, 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 I really love my friends or something like that you know you just wanted to declare something I to mean, the world I thought that the, uh, you know, the point where he was like well why can't straight people come out like I thought that was that quite scene was really good yeah, actually that really... scene yeah that I think that's about the point where I started to warm to the film is where you have these kind of these scenes where the actual kids are coming out to their parents are straight that bit that bit was one of the one of the stronger points I think certainly yeah yeah the, the the coming out stuff and like the the stuff about um, holding a breath and exhaling like it could seem so overly like written and and soppy. But I think it was well handled. The boy Nick Robinson was in Jurassic World. Yeah, but was he was also in Kings of Summer. Jurassic World. Oh, that's Kings of Summer. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I definitely recognise him then. Yeah, so, that's, yeah. Why, that's why I guess yeah. he's, he's familiar. But yeah. Anyway, we should wrap this one up. That one is um, Love Simon, and it should be on general release. What in a couple of weeks? I think fourth uh, or sixth of April. I think it's out on general release. Cool. Talking of things that are coming up on general release, we're going to be back in just a moment with our coming attraction section. So back we are uh, with Coming Attractions, which is where we pick a trailer that we're excited about for a film that is due out fairly soon. Um, Jack, have you got one this week? I have, but it's not released fairly soon, so you can go first. And How, Are we talking years, months? No, not years. You can go first. Go okay, on. I'll go, go on. first. It's okay, Jack. Um, so this uh, film has one of Jurassic your... Park 17. Yeah, <laughs> <this week. laughs> yeah. has one of your favourite characters in it. Uh, this is Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of... Grindelwald. Oh, my boy Eddie Redmayne. My Your boy favorite. Eddie Redmayne, yeah. yes. Um, so he obviously comes back as Newt Scalamander in this film. Um, and we've got Jude Law, who appears as a young Dumbledore, which is quite exciting. The least actor, least interesting actor of well, my yeah, generation, that, I, I think. Personally, your, I'm not a big Jude Law fan. But... I think some films, yeah. But I think for me, it's his voice, and I think that's going to be a powerful part of his Dumbledore performance. Hopefully, fingers crossed. I... I thoroughly enjoyed the first one, so I think this is hopefully this will sort of do well. Uh, so this comes out November the sixteenth. Is it that far off? I thought it was two thousand and eighteen. Okay. 
this year? I'm I, I'm um, I surprised myself by actually quite enjoying the first one, Jack, because I'm not a like Harry Potter lore universe anything guy at, at all. No, but we went to see yeah the the first one, and I actually thought it was it was, it was different. It was pretty it, good. Better than Harry Potter, I must admit. Oh, and Zoe Kravitz is in it again, and yeah. she is tremendous yes, to look absolutely. at <laughs> fair. Uh, Paul Anderson uh, am I going next? you can go next okay yeah. well you know when you used to get to the end of video games we're reviewing a video game movie today at the end of video games it would go game over if you died well I'm going to I'm going to talk about game over comma man oh yes uh, so, it's out next week isn't it so game over man does come out next week that's right on the 23rd of March on general release on Netflix both in the US and here so it's another one of these I guess on our show we are trying to blend in a bit of stuff that's Plopping out on her, plopping out on her <laughs> streaming media, just because that is, you know, the world that we live in these days, isn't it? That yeah. we've got this double um, release schedule, really. So, Game Over Man, or the reason I'm interested in Game Over Man, it's a film directed by Kyle Newercheck. It's a name that you will know if you're familiar with the TV show Workaholics. <laughs> You'll also know all the central guys because it's um, Adam Devine and is. It's it safe to say this is Workaholics, the movie. Uh, it, Kind of. Yeah. Basically, what it is is Durs and uh, Blake and um, Adam Devine's character, whatever he's called in the oh. show, I can't remember. Uh, they are fucking about <laughs> with an like action movie premise in a high rise building, trying to like I don't know solve a crime or stop a guy. It doesn't matter because what it's going to be, yeah, as you you mentioned, Paul, is it's basically going to be workaholics, but like getting to like shoot guns <laughs> and sort of wear tuxedos. I think there's and, probably a scene like a dreamscape scene in workaholics where that happens. That's probably where this movie <laughs> yeah. comes from, to be fair. And at this point, more power to those guys. I mean, they have put out what like nine seasons, eight seasons yeah. of their show. They I didn't realize how old workaholics is. I picked it up. I think you'd you'd recommend it's it. It's been about six said. years. And I, was, I looked. Up, I looked and I was like. Oh, I've seen series one now how many series are left and you were like there's nine seasons in I'm like wow yeah there's tons like, so, uh, yeah. there's tons and I mean uh, you know Always Sunny gets a lot of props for what those guys did from absolutely nothing to you know super stardom but Workaholics whether you love it or, or loathe it I think you've got to commend guys who basically did meet as a group of friends decided they want to, wanted to write stuff and perform that stuff and made that into yeah. a very, very successful career to this point. And now you see Adam Devine and Anders Holm and, and stuff uh, popping up in a load of other movies as like, you know, bit parts mm. or characters or even leading men. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. It's going to be a bit of throw around fun. It, I wouldn't take it I'm too seriously or whatever. But release, yeah. Uh, yeah, Game Over Man, it releases 23rd of March. Paul, what have you got? Uh, I've got, there's a f- I don't know if you've heard of this, guys. Um, you may or may not oh, have okay. done. Uh, this is Avengers Infinity War. Sure. Uh, which somehow I don't think we've talked about as a coming attraction. We, we may have done. But anyway, there's a, the final trailer is now up for Avengers Infinity War. This, as you're probably already aware, is the the kind of crescendo of all the Marvel films to this point. So uh, Thanos, the big bad who's appeared in Guardians of the Galaxy so far, appears to be attacking the Earth and everyone is uniting to stop him. And by everyone, I mean everyone in Marvel so far. So you have the Avengers, the Guardians of the Galaxy are in this um, and it looks like it's going to be... I imagine it's going to be very action-heavy and will look incredible. Uh, this is out... The tickets are now booking and it is out the end of 24th of April, I think, or 25th of April, something like that, so it's not far off. Um, yeah, whether it will work or not with this many characters in the mix is something that I'm very intrigued to see. And I have to say that my my personal favourite of the Marvel films recently have been the standalone ones and not Civil War or not Avengers Age of Ultron. The ones where they've mashed it all together... I feel don't I don't think have worked quite as well as the standalone ones. So I'm intrigued to see how this will work. I'm very excited to see the Guardians of the Galaxy with 
with Chris Hendler with the Thor, for example, and how Robert Downey Jr. plays off against Chris Pratt. I think it's going to be quite funny. But where do you guys stand on this? Paul, you're a you're a signed up member of the Geek Squad. So tell me this: <laughs> what is an Infinity War? So this is a war. Like, it from the, is it from the comic books? Is it a story from the no, comic so books? You, I, it's to do with so, the Infinity Stones. So there's got been, it. Yeah. The, the MacGuffin in all the other Marvel films has stone? been a stone. Yeah, been, there's right. been many stones. There's a number of stones. So um, they're, at this point, they're in different places in the galaxy. One is in Paul Bettany's head. Uh, one is with Benicio del Toro as the collector. Yeah. The other one is locked away. I presume with it's Paul the... Bettany's character because I like the idea that in, yeah. in, his, <laughs> in his blissful marriage, yeah, Jennifer sorry, yeah. he's got a so thing stuck Paul in his head. head. Yeah, that's why Thanos <laughs> will never find it. Um, one of them is locked away uh, with the what are they called? The something caught the something caught in oh. Guardians of the Galaxy. The other one, Loki, I think, is nicked at the end of Thor Ragnarok. Okay. So, and basically Thanos has this gauntlet that if he puts all these stones together I get the impression that, well he does he gets the power to take over the galaxy basically Right. so everything's been leading to this massive smackdown with Thanos basically uh, played by Josh Brolin in this case um, so so it's yeah. more like Infinity Stone War then really isn't it yeah because yeah, 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 I'd kind of forgotten because if I'm frank and we talk about comic movies Comic well, the Infinity Gauntlet is what he wears. So. Sure. We, we talk about them quite a lot, and like what happens with these movies is some of them I like, some of them not so much, but the plot part, you know, this isn't like the plot. It's like, oh, the plot, and we've got to go there and do that. I kind of switch off. So well, now that you say it about the Infinity Stones, I do remember that being yeah. a part of the yeah. movie, so it does make a bit more sense. The things now. that are shiny and bright that got glow, it. that's got the it. thing, that's what this is about. So, uh, yeah, I just, I'm hopeful it will work. I think it, whatever happens is going to look incredible, and whatever happens is going to make a fuck ton of money. Um, so this won't be the last but I think of the, there's, the there's too many, that there's going to be too many powerhouses in it well we'll see this is the thing I'm intrigued so, to see how what's this three hours do you think two, yeah, two hours probably. 36 oh jeez yeah oh I can't yeah. put it into two parts <laughs> two movies this is yeah. split I think it has been split into two parts oh, already oh, uh, really? my understanding oh, is because they, they filmed this back to back with what would be Avengers 4 yeah. Um, so I am assuming the, the Infinity then I was reading somewhere maybe Avengers 4 isn't Infinity War 2 and then I'd lost interest uh, and started <laughs> reading something else uh, so I mean even even for me like being quite a geek I'm starting to run out of patience with the larger Marvel universe they so, did Civil War they did doing yeah. Infinity War yeah third one Thumb War yeah, it could yeah, be. that could be yeah, like <laughs> real scaled back. Yeah. Well, the gauntlet has got a thumb. Maybe they could tie that in. Well, maybe they could. Yeah, get on the phone to uh, your should people. We, should we move on? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. We will move on, and we will move on to a big juicy section of the show that we like to call features. Now, the feature that we have coming today, as we mentioned, is Tomb Raider. We've got just the one for today, which means we can get our teeth into it right after this. So, set up Tomb Raider for us, Pete. Well, I don't know if I want to. I might just leave a, <laughs> leave a long silence. Yeah, to, for people who were unaware, um, Lara Croft is a video game character that was created uh, back in the, what, early 90s, I would say? Late 90s. Late 90s. By whom, Paul? 96. Was it IDOS? Core Dynamics. <laughs> Core Dynamics. Yes. Yeah. Published by uh, IDOS. So, jump forward a bunch of time, and we <laughs> get to 2013, where the video game franchise is rebooted for a new generation of players. And what we've got, instead of having the sort of busty, new uh, Lara Croft character who was a bit of a just like needlessly sexualised uh, object in some of the previous games she becomes a bit more of a vulnerable slightly younger character in the sort of reskinning of those things I think it's fair to say yeah, right? absolutely, yeah. and this film Tomb Raider picks up basically the plot 
of the 2013 game as a jumping off point. Um, but in the lead role as Laura Croft, we have Alicia Vikander taking over from uh, Angelina Jolie that we mentioned earlier, who has been so far in two Tomb Raider films. I say so far, she's not been any more, is she? Uh, two Tomb Raider films that met middling reviews back in the, what, late 90s? Early uh, 2000s. Early 2000s, right. Um, this one, Tomb Raider, is directed by Raw Uthaug. Paul, can you tell me anything about Raw Uthaug? No, I did read it in- Incredible comment on Letterboxd where someone said it's nice to see that orcs are directing films these days. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I can't, I can't yeah, bet that. So, so we'll just go with Apologies, that. Raw. But that was, I did like that comment a lot. Um, um, it's not a director I'm familiar with, I will be honest. We have a collection of writers, um, which may make you a little bit fearful. I think there are four um, for the screenplay on this one. And um, yeah... Lara's quest is basically to pick up on the work of her father. Her father here is played by uh, Dominic West. He has been involved with... Is it called the Himiko Project? Himiko Project. Yeah, on this sort of um, tiny Japanese island somewhere in the middle of the... Triangle of Doom or something like that, right? (laughs) The Sea of Death, you got it. Uh, Yeah, and... Lara is going to try to find out what happened to her father with the belief that he ended up perishing when he tried to open the tomb of Himiko. Do I need to add anything else, Paul, or shall we get to a clip? Let's get to a clip. Cool. Sprout, I knew I could trust you to solve my puzzle. Unfortunately, if you're watching this tape, then it means that I must be dead. It'll be obvious to you by now that there was more to my life than just boardrooms and business deals. Things that I couldn't tell you about before. I need you to do me a favor. I need you to burn all my research on the Himiko project. Just burn all of it, the notebooks, the tapes, everything. It's very important. If it falls into the wrong hands, then it could be catastrophic. So please do it straight away. So yeah, that basically sets the scene where she is given the mission by her father, played by Dominic West. The second Dominic West film this week, in fact, we talked about After the Square, so it's nice to see McNulty still acting, which is always good. Yeah, and, um, and given the mission, we say, sort of over a, a videotape that yes. she finds, like I said in the setup, like thinking that he's probably died, yeah. right? That's yeah. where we are with that. So... Yeah, to be honest, I didn't have high hopes for this because video game adaptations, as I think we've talked about on a previous episode, we were talking about the history of video game adaptations not being ever being 100% successful. Uh, so I, I'll be honest, I didn't have high hopes for this going in. Um, when it started, I'll be honest, I was quite hopeful. Um, yeah, I personally thought Alicia Vikander was great from, from the get-go. I was like, actually, no, she's she's very charismatic physicality she's nailed the look i mean she's incredible in incredible shape here like completely sells the tomb raider the lara croft role from the from the newer games like absolutely looks the she put on looks 13 the pounds well, well, I think, for it. from from the mouth of uh, walter goggins the guy who plays like the, i guess the de facto baddie in this this movie he said <laughs> that on set uh, she uh, lisa vikander is a real powerhouse she made me embarrassed to take my shirt off and i go to the gym five days a week a bit <laughs> of a humble brag there yeah, from wow. goggins, yeah, yeah. He's, dropped, he's dropped that in at the end yeah <laughs> Um, so no, look, she looked the part, and I think she she carried the part very very well. 
there is a, the, the the film opens up. There's quite quite an exciting uh, courier bike chase, which I didn't oh, necessarily was, expect to see, yeah. but I thought the set piece was decent. And actually, for about the first half an hour, I was quietly hopeful that this film would be yeah. quite good. I'd almost forgotten um, about the whole section. Yeah, was, that gave me goosebumps. It was really interesting, man. Like it was a really interesting way of setting up the character. I think is you know, and, and successful because obviously you don't get a courier bike chase in the video game. Spoiler if you haven't played it. No. Um, with a paint can and a weird, slightly sexy little tail attached to it. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was a nice way of setting up the character because what was so important here is that, like I was saying about that 2013 video game reboot, Lara Croft needed to seem human. Like a character. Like Yeah, yeah like a character, but like like a, also a person, a regular yeah. person. Yeah. And I think the fact that we get to see London and just regular streets and a regular job and her being a bit down on her luck and, you know, not having a lot of, of funds, albeit, yeah, with the Croft family being as wealthy as they are, um, she's just trying to make ends meet. I really like that stuff. So I'm with you. I thought it was a really good setup. So I feel like we're saying... Really good setup. Central character Lucy Vikander doing a great job, packing on the muscles, looking the part. What is the problem then? Surely this is the, a great the success. The problem is then it, after this, as soon as it kind of gets to the island, it just becomes so bland and generic. Like I just the difficulty with I think part of the other difficulty which we didn't touch on before is when you're adapting video games is is how close do you go to the game? Is you know at what point do you go? Do we need to denigrate from the game? Do we need to change up what's going on here? And for me, again, it gets to the island, it looks like Tomb Raider, it feels like Tomb Raider, so that's great. But the action, I just don't think, was, was sort of so generic and a little bit flat that I thought I'd rather be playing... It almost looked too much like the game, to the point where I thought, I just want to go home and play the game now rather than be watching the film. Yeah, I mean, I, um, think, I think I agree with you, Paul. I think that's sort of a fault, though, of, of like you're saying, the, the staging of action set pieces. Because I think I only started to feel the way that you're describing once we got away from, like, when she's, you know, shimmying up walls and swinging on stuff, like mm. in the docks, that section there, uh, or where she's, like, swinging on a, on a horizontal bar or the stuff that we as I think we're all we've all played these games yeah, right? yeah. yeah. we've all played these games as players of the games you really enjoy that stuff because it's like yeah it, it's it's live action it's really happening well, these actors doing are doing it, it. Yeah. no mean, no but I mean on, on the oh, screen okay, but, but the bit yeah where it where it sort of falls away for me and maybe what you're getting at too is like when the stuff on screen starts to look not only like a video game but like a not very well sort of um, creatively designed video game yeah. like a not very well directed video yeah. game and then you think what are we doing here like we're being caught in between two how things. did you feel about the the scene where she's on the boat and they're, it's crashing and the, all the flashing lights and stuff I thought that was a bit I don't know I didn't really enjoy that bit because of course that is the setup to the the video game isn't it she's yeah. on the boat yeah, and then the, of, boat, yeah. the, the boat they've dealt with it slightly differently but yeah the boat crashes but a, a, a boat wreck yeah. and a yeah. swim into the shore and yeah. that kind of stuff I remember and my other issue with it was is the Walton Goggins I was like okay this is going to be cool he's in it I like him a lot he's a very creepy villain character he's yeah. really really good but here he had nothing to do I just thought the villain was, dry, was the villain it? was just one note and very very flat and yeah. I think introduced almost far too late for me to be to be anywhere near effective as, as a villain and I just think the film just the film just took a really there wasn't, real I mean there wasn't much hill, set up was there you know about the whole sort of trinity stuff um, and for obviously yeah. the people that haven't played the video game that must have been quite confusing yeah it, it was a really odd one as well because what we got and, and really not a spoiler but what we get at the end of the film to be as bleak as I can is um, a tease towards what we're going to get in the future with the next iteration of the Lara Croft character on screen right but unfortunately it felt then like 
I don't know if this is the case, and I'd have to research more, but it almost felt like that decision had been made later in the day, maybe mm. when they saw how it was testing and, you know, the, the popularity online or the numbers and the algorithms and the way the whole industry works now. Um, and so they've sort of, like, limited the amount of, like, really strong content in the last half of the movie, and what you've got then is some, like, fillery stuff or some, like, subpar yeah, stuff. Yeah, but there's... Yeah, I see where you're coming from. And that, there's that whole, there's that weird bit in the middle when Nick Frost turns up as comic relief that doesn't fit the tone of the well, film at yeah. all. No, you're absolutely right. I um, don't think it does. However, did you notice that thing about how uh, Nick, it's Nick Frost, you know, specifically that shows up? And of course, in Spaced, Simon Pegg's character, when he gets depressed, uh, goes oh, to play Tomb Raider really and drowns Lara Croft. Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of like a nice nod to fans of you know both that show and, and this game series. However, yeah, I agree. As a you know, without that information in the back of your mind, it's even more sort of like but yeah, it sort I, of like set shrugging. it up, didn't it, for him to be in the the next installment? Well, hopefully so. Yeah, I mean that would be a good outcome of that, wouldn't it? If yeah. if he does indeed get like a bigger role the next time. So I think yeah. I mean, where do I? In comparison to the what I will say in its defence, though, as much as I wouldn't, I didn't hate it. It was it was okay. Overall, it was just about okay. I think. It was certainly for me an improvement on what we've seen before in terms of the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider films because they were just Angelina Jolie prancing about with very even sort of less story yeah. than here really to be honest. Um, where do you do you think it's an improvement <laughs> it's on what's gone more on realistic? No, I agree with everything you said. It's just the choice of the word prancing. About. <laughs> just that is so damning. Like oh, you've just been prancing about for like four hours worth of movies. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean those movies are let's be fair quite shit. But um, <laughs> yeah. but like just to put it there. But, but I suppose what I was saying when we did the the in the foyer part earlier on is that like. I don't know. Where are you guys on, like, Angelina Jolie, Alicia Vikander? It doesn't matter because they're at different stages of their career now, but, like, in depicting this character. I don't mean the movies themselves. The problem is I don't think you compare because I don't think you can compare the two because Angelina Jolie is depicting a characterless um, set of polygons from the original Tomb Raider games and Alicia Vikander is depicting the character that they rebooted her to be. So I think it's probably unfair... Well, you could compare them for the sake of an entertaining conversation well, on our which, show, I guess. In which case, Alicia Vikander wins. <laughs> right, yeah. No, you're, yeah. you're right. I mean, they, and it's a slightly different part of the Lara Croft arc, I guess, as well, because it's that sort of origin story. I almost felt like with, with this, though, it wouldn't have been a terrible idea to go even slightly younger with Lara Croft. If we're re- yeah, if we're rebooting it, because you know like what they've done with Spider-Man Homecoming and stuff mm. like that recently, right? I don't know if that actress exists, and I'm not sure that one sort of leaps into my mind that could take the role... However, if we were like, oh, here's Lara Croft, because she's supposed to be about early 20s, maximum 25. In the game, or in this, it, or both, in both. Both, yeah, I, I think, so, yeah. 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 No more than 25. I think they even reference it at one point in the movie. And now, Alicia Vikander is all of 30. It's not like she's a you know, huge amount older, and she looks pretty young. But I think like, even if you had like a, like a 21, 22-year-old Lara Croft, then you can kind of build this franchise out of it. My fear coming out of this is I'm not sure after this outing that there's going to be a great fervour of anticipation surrounding the next movie. And we all know Alicia Vikander is, you know, operating at a pretty high frequency in terms of, like, the Hollywood machine at the moment. Is she going to want to put a name on the rest of this franchise? I mean, I I don't know. I mean, it's a genuine question. What do you guys think going forward? I I think it would be... I think... As it was said, as much as I didn't go too much on this particular film, I think it does show promise 
for potentially a sequel to be better. So I think it would actually be a shame if she doesn't, because I think there's there's potential here for the series to be done to do the game some justice. Um, so I think it would be a shame if she doesn't. I've got a horror. I don't think it will do particularly well, and I don't think she'll be back. And I think this might be the last we see of it, uh, personally. But I think that would be a shame because it'll I think- be. So it's going to be Rise of the Tomb Raider, isn't it? I mean, yeah. The, ne- the next movie, surely, yeah. it's tie up with the whole game thing. And um, is there? It's not a game podcast, obviously, but is there a new? There is Shadow some, of the Two. Yeah, I think yeah, I would heard the, about the last. Couple apparently, of days. the close of this character's arc, of this iteration of Lara Croft's arc. So we'll see where it goes after. So this, the but. bean counters are going to be like looking at the fact that if they can get three films out of this, they will. Yeah, because right? this one, in, in. So, in some ways, actually, this does kind of ape the plot of the first game. I mean, there's characters missing here. Um, there's more focus on Lara in, on here in the film than there is in the game. There's a, there's a larger cast of characters, but it's certainly with her with the character of her stepmother, I think, or it's it definitely apes the plot of the game. So there is a lot of there is a good enough story for them to milk for a sequel, I think. But we'll see whether whether it happens or not is another matter. But um, Jack, your opinion of the people who were linked to the project who lost out to Alicia Vikander in the end or dropped out in the one one case at least. Uh, where do you stand on these people as Lara Croft? Daisy Ridley. Paul, you probably weighed in on this too, to be fair. No. The Star Wars connection. No. Daisy, R- Daisy Ridley? Uh, Daisy Ridley just won a Best Actress Award for a role in The Last Jedi. At yeah, the really? Film was I, last, okay. Which is insane. I'm led so. to believe that da- Daisy Ridley was actually kind of the first choice for this new Lara yeah. Croft movie and then dropped out because of Star Wars. Too okay. stale. Or, or, or turned it down, I should say, because of Star Wars. Too stale from Jack. Throwing shade over there on Daisy. Yeah, I, kind of agree with, no, I agree with him. I don't think she's great, to be honest. I think she's not a particularly charismatic actress. Okay, I'll give you Amelia Clark. I could see not that. Not bad, working. right? Not I could bad. see that Because that, yeah. yeah. that dreadful latest Terminator film, she was quite good. Yeah, yeah. I thought. And I'm looking though. forward to her in the, the, um, the Han Solo film as well. Yeah. Uh, Saoirse Ronan. Mm. She's done Hannah when she was a, a kid. Yeah, younger. it might be quite good for her to do something more. Sort I can't of see her in the. I can't see her in the last Imagine this year if things had been differently, like a parallel universe where Saoirse Ronan is lauded for both Lara Croft and her character Lady Bird. Yeah. <laughs> it would just be like such <laughs> diver- divergent things. But that might be good for her, that diversity. And the last one I'll give to you, Paul, because you're a big eyebrow fan. Uh, <laughs> Cara Delevingne. Oh, she did look the part, but. She was one of the she was one of the better things in Valerian, though. I thought she, I thought she was okay in Valerian. She's better than Dane DeHaan, certainly. Well, yeah. they'd have to they'd obviously have to you know up Lara Croft's uh, eyebrow game in the next video game yes. in order to reflect <laughs> yeah. the person depicting her on screen. So maybe that would be uh, logistically difficult. So uh, overall, guys, thumbs up, kind mm-hmm. of thumbs sort of wavering around in the middle. Where do we land on wavering in the, say, in the yeah. middle? I think semi yeah. in the middle. Jack's got a semi. Not yeah. full heart. <laughs> I'm not going full heart today. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you, man. I, I think in having a semi, uh, I'm with you in the sense that I think thumbs up for the first half of the movie. This is awkward. <laughs> it's awkward when you whisper. This is awkward. Yeah, thumbs up for the first half of the movie, and maybe a bit more of a thumbs down for the second yeah. half. So I guess yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle I th- too. I think another thing I'd bring to it is that all I could think when they were in the, the tombs was Indiana Jones. Female yeah. version. The tombs were shit as well. That is what Barakoff is. Yeah, it is. But <laughs> yeah, but almost in the, too much. And in the games, you know, like the, it doesn't look like that. No. In the games, no. it's not just like a big cavernous triangle that, like you know, someone like Luke Besson threw away in the late nineties or something. That's kind of what some of this movie. Yeah, like, it, it? for me, overall, it's okay, but it's a missed opportunity. That's what I would. 
go with. Will you will you purchase a ticket for the sequel that is a nev- almost inevitable? If we're still doing a podcast, we have to purchase a ticket for everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> true that. Right, should we? Do you want to pay credit to anything this week? Dave, um, we I do want to probably pay credit to something, but what about you guys? Have you got anything in particular? I want to pay credit to the fact to the fact that my fiance has just arrived home, so uh, I should probably do my credit section for her. We should we should probably do that. I want to pay credit to the fact that Sea of Thieves is out this week. I know we're not a video game podcast. I'm very excited about it. Jack, do you want to pay credit to something? Uh, yeah, the, the fact that I'm not dying. And Good. Um, we'll pay credit healthy. to that. We'll pay credit to the Jack's there with I'm us. I'm going to pay credit to getting married in a cinema, and then I'm going to be peacing out on this podcast because right. I got to go get the door. So, so yes, before Pete, before we go, before Pete answers the door, catch us on at Twitter, at on Twitter at Stranger Cinema, Stranger Cinema on Instagram and Facebook, and we will be back next week. Goodbye. Hello. Shut up and sit down.